God bless you. God bless you. There is no better place to be on a Sunday morning than church, for starters, and Burnside Family Church for the cream on the cake. Lovely worship time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We pray before the service that God will touch every single person who walks into our door, that they'll sense his hand, that they'll see something they've not seen before, hear something deep in their spirits that they've not heard before, move to a better place than they were before in their walk with the Lord. We want that to happen this morning. And that happens partly in our coming together, but I think more especially as the Word of God touches our lives. So we've prayed already, we won't pray again, for God to speak to us through his word. We've been looking at Hebrews. Today, is, uh, my responsibility is Hebrews 12. When Benny gave it to me, I said, Benny, so much to say, so little time to say it in. He chuckled, so we're going to do the very best that we can this morning. So in our previous chapters, 1 through to 10, we, we've studied the problem of sin and how God, in, through the Old Testament, dealt with uh, the problem of sin. He instituted sacrifices and... He instituted a priesthood. He instituted uh, regulations and commandments that Israel was to fulfill. That was God's way of dealing with man's sinfulness. Now listen, every one of us is aware of sinfulness. If not in yourself, certainly in others. <laughs> but if we really are fair dinkum about it, in our own selves as well. And sin is a problem. It's a filthy, horrible, dirty problem. When, you know, we live a beautiful life, a wonderfully blessed life within the fellowship of the church and the family of God. And yet even we are touched by it. But you get yourself outside of the, the family of God and you get yourself in maybe to work with or to live with or to fellowship with some real people who, who have no regard for God. You want to find out what sin is, you'll find it. Believe you me. But I think you know what I'm talking about. So the Old Testament priesthood was established. Sacrifices, ordinances. The problem was it wasn't a once and for all thing. It was a daily sacrifice thing there was a big day once a year called the day of atonement where the high priest uh, was commanded to do his thing and you know he had to do it again the next year but then in our new testament through the death of jesus we learn that jesus and this is what we've looked at in the last weeks that jesus was the perfect sacrifice that jesus was the perfect high priest that Jesus did it once and for all and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we've moved into a whole new uh, 
era, a whole new covenant. So that's what chapters 1 to 10, I think, taught us. Chapter 11 was this wonderful chapter of heroes of the faith. I'm just going to refer to that a little bit this morning. But I want to say before that, that as always, doctrine, uh, you'll find in your New Testament books that the first one or two chapters or three chapters in the pastoral letters are usually doctrine. And then the writer would say, now because of what I've taught you here, I said all that so that I could say this. And then he tells us how to live. And so doctrine should translate into a way of life, into a philosophy uh, of living, and then into actual living. And that's that's uh, God's desire, to have a practical outworking of the things we hear in church. It's great to hear them. It's great to hear the Greek and the Hebrew and the this and this and this. But where the rubber hits the road is when we go out to our homes, to our kids, to our neighbours, to our workmates. That's when it needs to be put into practice. And and he's coming now, the writer of Hebrews, to say, now, I said all that so that I could say this. It seems that these Hebrews were having a bit of a tough time. Uh, Someone else has alluded to that. Uh, And I can see it. Firstly, they were under the heel of the Roman overlords. Rome. Rome was brutal. It was, a, it was a nation of iron. You don't submit, we will chop your head off, mate. And so someone who comes out and says, I think James touched on it this morning. You say, Jesus is Lord, well, Nebuchadnezzar will get you. And if he doesn't, then Caesar will. And so these people were were in this uh, pressure cooker situation. And so they had the Roman overlords. They had the Jewish traditionalists. So these, these Christians now had moved into a new covenant, a new era, a new way of doing things. And the old Jewish traditionalists were saying, you can't do that, you mustn't do that, you shouldn't do that. And so there was a bit of pressure on them, which way were they going to go? And I think a third source of pressure on them was just normal life battles. You know, you'd think in a, in a society like ours, with all the stuff that we've got, with all the ease of living that we have around about us, with the abundance of food, with everything at our fingertips and our disposal, At our disposal, you'd think there'd be no problems in life. But we know that there are problems in life. And so, not only the Romans, not only the Jews, but just the things that they were battling with in normal uh, life circumstances. And so it seems to me that these people were either tempted to quit and say, ugh, or they were becoming a bit slack in their faith. And so we come to now these exhortations. Come on, guys, go for it, go for it. So let's read, uh, in a minute we'll read it. Chapter 12 builds on 
chapter 11. So in chapter 11, the writer had, uh, what's the word? Uh, described, had written about heroes of their faith. These Jewish people knew of the people that the writer was talking about who had to press through. And that's what he's getting on about here. We're going to read it in just a minute. Press through. And you might be in a situation. Uh, we had a prophetic word this morning about pressing through. A dilemma. Well, God's bigger than your dilemma. And so, so the writer says to these people that he's writing to, he says, listen, remember Abraham. Abraham had a promise, but it wasn't being fulfilled. And he could have easily been tempted, and he was actually tempted to chuck it all in. But he did persevere, and God brought him through. He said, remember Moses. He was tempted to quit. I don't know why Moses persevered as long as he did. Well, I do know, because he saw a burning bush, and God spoke to him. And I encourage you, if you've been spoken to by God, just you persevere. You don't quit on what God has called you to do. But it would have been easy for Moses to quit, but he didn't. He persevered. And then the writer says, remember Joshua and all the problems that Joshua had. He persevered. I want you guys to persevere. Remember Rahab. She acted in faith. She could have been easily killed. But God spoke to her and God spoke through her and she persevered. And she, she was actually in the line of, of birth of Jesus. The writer said, remember Samson and the battles that he had. But he persevered and he brought the house down. Remember Gideon, he persevered. Remember Isaac, he persevered. And, and the things he was saying to the people that he was writing to all made sense. Yeah, we remember Moses, we remember Isaac, we remember Gideon, we remember Abraham. We know what they went through. And then he says to them now, here we come to these couple of verses that we're going to look at first, and then in a while we're going to put up on screen more verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us... Now, here's what he said. Here's what he's getting at. Here's what he wants us to do. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This cloud of witnesses, I think, is a magnificent imagery. You know, I, I, I want you to imagine... I want you to imagine there's a gallery up here at the top of our brickwork. And I want you to imagine Moses and Abraham and Gideon and Samson and Barak and Rahab and Isaac. I want you to imagine them up in the gallery. And they're looking down at us today. And they're saying, go on, Alf, go for it. 
Go on, Mark. Go for it. I'm barracking for you. James, I'm barracking for you. Jeremy, I'm barracking for you. Lisa, whatever situation you're in, they're barracking for you. They're, they're saying, we got through, you can get through too. Don't be too quick to discount uh, these heroes of the faith. They're in the ramparts of heaven looking down. And they're saying, go for it, guys. So when you're in a bit of a tough situation, there's others who have gone before you and they've succeeded and we can succeed too. The same God that they grabbed hold of, we can grab hold of and he'll bring us through. So the writer says, here's how you're going to get through. Lay aside the weight and the sin, the weights and the sin. He said, you're running a race and you know from the Olympics, you know from athletics, they don't carry 30 pounds of bricks on their back. I was looking for an appropriate cartoon and I decided not to go with it, but it showed a guy in a racing car and on his, on, in the back of the... Uh, uh, he had a trailer at the back and in the back he was carrying, you know, unforgiveness. There was a box that said unforgiveness. There was a box that said bitterness. There was a box that said dishonesty. There was a box that said lying. And he was wondering why all the other cars were going past him. And, and the guy said, well, just get rid of the trailer and you might have a good chance of going. And so, so the writer says, lay aside sin because sin holds you back. And he said, sin which so easily ensnares us. Whew, easily ensnares us. Not me. It wouldn't easily ensnare me. Well, it would. And it would with you. Lay aside those things and run the race with endurance. Endurance means just rocking up every day and run the race. And you know what? Rocking up tomorrow and run the race. And rocking up on Tuesday and run the race. You know, I was watching the footy yesterday and I saw those guys busting their backs, busting their backs. And you know what they got to do? they got to rock up next Saturday and bust their backs again. And, you know, when the season's at the beginning, they give everything they got and then they've got to rock up the next week and do the same. Well, in a sense, that's what we have to do as well. Rock up tomorrow and be a Christian tomorrow. Rock up tomorrow and lay aside the weights and the sins that easily ensnare us and run with endurance. Set our eyes on Jesus. We heard that this morning and I want to say it again. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the author, which means he started it all, and he's the finisher. He's going to be there at the end. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to let me down. He's not going to let you down. No matter how tough the situation is, Jesus is there with you. His arm is around you. His, his mercies are new morning by morning, holding us. So just think of the situation you're in at the moment. He is not going to let you down. He will not let you down. He won't walk away from you. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy comes after the cross in life very often. Success comes after hard work. Uh, I heard something many, many years ago. Too many people want to arrive without taking the trip. You can't arrive without taking the trip. You want to succeed, you put in the hard work. The train only runs where the tracks have been laid. And, you know, we, we look at things on TV and we see things in magazines and say, I'd like to have one of them tomorrow. Well, there's a lot of work goes in before much of the, that success comes. You would know, and I would know, countless stories of people who received reward but only after perseverance. How it might have been easy to give up, but they just stuck in there and they persevered and they either found what they were looking for or they arrived where they were wanting to go or they achieved what they'd set out to do. But it would have been so easy to quit. And you, would, you and I would know people who quit too early. I was speaking at Kids Club a couple of weeks ago and I was speaking about the broad road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life eternal. And we had these kids here, young kids, gorgeous, beautiful young kids. And I, I was talking about whether, whether, whether you, know, you, you want to have a sad life on that road that leads to destruction, the broad road, or you want to have a happy life. And I said, I want to have a happy life. And I said, do you want to have a happy life? And there was a precious little girl there, little Chinese girl. I reckon she was six years old. She wouldn't have been seven. And she answered my question when I said, do you want to have a sad life? She said something like, I want to have a thousand, thousand, thousand happy life. <laughs> Even a little six-year-old knows the difference. And I would say to us, and the writer is saying, persevere. Don't get tangled up with sin because sin is going to sit like a trailer on the back of your racing car and everyone's going to race past you and you're going to be wondering why is the handbrake on? And too many people live their lives with the handbrake on. I say to us all, get rid of those things. Okay, let's go to the second slide. Uh, and this is to do with the discipline of God. I've, I've called it the dealings of God. The dealings of God. Uh, this comes straight out of the New King James Version. But I've, I've, I, I, I want to refer to the dealings of God. And, and I thought of King David when he was a young lad. How one day a lion comes across his path and going to take his, his sheep from him and this brave young man got stuck into the lion and ripped it into pieces and a bear came to uh, rip into his sheep but David ripped into the bear why was God sending those challenges into his life why was God doing that God knew what was on the horizon God knew there was a guy called Goliath 
and he was going to be, you know, 25 feet tall and everyone was going to be scared of him, except David was not scared of him. He said, I ripped into a lion, I ripped into a bear, I reckon I can clean up this guy. So the dealings of God, I want us to understand, are for our good. So let's read this little passage here and I want you to hear it in the context of God working in our lives for our good. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So what I'm saying to us is that God deals with us as a father should deal with his kids, with his sons. And when God does deal in our lives, don't get weary and don't get discouraged. You have not resisted to bloodshed and striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you of sons. My son, this is out of Job, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. I don't want to be rebuked by the Lord. I just want to be blessed by the Lord. No, no, no. Part of the deal is that God rebukes us. For whom the Lord loves, this is out of Proverbs, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. No, that must be a misspelling. That wouldn't be, couldn't be true. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, all have become partakers, if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he chastens us for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the writer sensed that they were becoming weary and discouraged. They were saying, you know, God, God's putting the pressure on us. He encouraged them that God was doing these things for their good. He was putting them through a lion and a bear because Goliath was going to be on the horizon one day. He compared it to a father training his sons. Now, all children need instruction, and they need rebuke too. We live in an age where you're not supposed to say anything against, well, anybody, but certainly against your kids. You're not to crush their dear little spirits. Well, 
That's right, you're not to crush their spirits, but you are to train them. You are to train them, parents, it's your responsibility to train your kids in manners, in speech, in truthfulness, in timeliness, in keeping their rooms clean, in completing their homework, in how to work, in how to be part of a team, in how to get on with people. It's our job as parents to teach those precious little darlings those things. And we've got to do it with wisdom, we've got to do it with love, we've got to do it with you know, insight. Uh, each kid is different. No two kids are the same. But that's what God gives them to us for 20 years. And he says, I want you to drill these things into their life. And when they don't clean their room, make them go and clean their room. And when they tell a lie, teach them that it doesn't pay to lie. And when they get their first wage and blow it all, make sure they don't blow their second wage. Things like that, that kids do respond to if done properly. And, and he's saying, in the normal scheme of life, every good parent teaches his kids and her kids. Of course, you know what I, you know what I mean. And he said afterwards, um, great fruit comes, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, Nick and I, you know, most of you know, but some of you don't, spent 17 years working with young lads, mostly with young lads, about 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, who were wild lads. Many of, most of them were wild. They'd been in trouble with the police, and many of them been thrown out of school. Uh, many of them couldn't get a job. And, you know, Nick and I applied love to them because we really believed God put us there in their lives. But also we applied discipline to them. And we said, listen, boyo, stop doing that. Stop talking like that. Stop acting like that. And I don't think they'd had too many people saying that to them in the past. But we were very loving towards them, but we were pretty down the line and you know what overwhelmingly overwhelmingly I can't is there a stronger word than overwhelmingly they responded they responded they knew that with love with care we were doing them good and in many cases no one was doing them good and we were and they responded we had outstanding results because we acted like dads we realized early in the piece um, I wasn't fully sure what to do and how to do it and it dawned on me they were missing a dad and I was I was about the right age to be their dad and we got in and we started acting like dads started acting like Christian dads plenty of love but a fair bit of discipline as well a lot of generosity a lot of encouragement a lot of sit down and shut up and listen to this and they responded. And the writer is saying, listen, God wants to do more in you than he wants to do through you. And when he's done it in you, he can do it through you. So we come into the kingdom. Maybe we've got a bit of a mouth problem. Maybe we've got a bit of a temper problem. Maybe we've got a bit of a dishonesty problem. Maybe we're a bit lazy. Maybe we're, oh, you know, 10 million reasons <laughs> and God starts working on us he starts saying now 
you know, in a message or a communion or a song, cuts our heart with something. Says, watch your mouth, boy. I didn't come to church to hear that. Stop being dishonest. Ooh, I didn't come to church to hear that. I came to hear about how good God is and how good I am. (laughs) But God speaks to us and he adjusts us and he trains us. And then he can thrust us out and we can do great work for him. Just as a father, you know, afterwards the peaceable fruits of righteousness. You know, you know, in a normal tree, in a natural tree, fruit is out of all proportion to seed. Few seeds, thousand fruit. All right, let's move on to the third one. Now, does that fit all? Oh, can you read it? Oh, it's a bit hard, I'm sorry, but I'm going to read it anyway. This section from verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So that's what leads me to think that these folk were uh, starting to get a bit discouraged. He says, come on, your shoulders are drooping, you know, you're sagging a bit. He said, strengthen those hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. So he's saying, look, Things are a bit bad now, but if you don't do what I'm talking about, it's going to get worse. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled lest there be a fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Pooh, there is... 25 sermons in there. So he's saying, come on, perk up, you guys. Pull yourselves together. Strengthen the hands and uh, strengthen your knees. Come on, stand up. Pull yourself together. Make paths, make your path straight so that it doesn't get worse. You know, uh, one of the horrible things of life is that, uh, generally speaking, overwhelmingly speaking, uh, issues that are not dealt with tend to get worse. And I'm, I'm the, if I'm not the world's best pro- procrastinator, I'm about the second best. <laughs> and uh, when I see a problem, I try to say, oh, it'll get better, it'll get better, but it doesn't, it gets worse. And so the writer is saying to these guys, come on, if you don't do something, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to find yourself in a terrible place. So pull yourselves together. Now, here's a few things that you've got to do, he says. One, pursue peace with all men and pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all men. 
And you, you and I know that it's not as easy as it is. It's easy to read it. It's harder to actually do. Pursue peace with all men because some people just won't, won't be pursued by peace. I thank God that I, I spend most of my life in a Christian community with people who believe the same as me and want the same things as me and who understand my language and we read from the same page. But many of us work with people who are just plain nasty and who are critical, who are liars, who are dishonest. And yet it says here, as much as is within you, it says it in Romans, as much as is within you, be at peace with all men. But the injunction to us is pursue peace. As much as you can, don't spark things up. Tamper them down. Tamp them down, if possible. Learn when things are starting to flare up. Maybe it's just best to walk away. I think one of the best qualities of life that we can teach our kids is the capacity to get on with others. You know, you can be rich or poor, you can be smart or dumb, you can be a professional or a, or a non-professional, but if we teach our kids and we learn ourselves how to get on with other people, we've learned a great thing in our life. So let's have a look at ourselves. If we tend to be a little bit spiky, if we tend to um, be a little bit reactionary, if we want to get our own way all the time, every time, you don't get on with people that way. People react, respond, take your pick, both. Uh, if we just flare things up, throw petrol on the fire, don't do that. Let's learn to walk away sometimes, shut up sometimes, dampen the situation. Pursue peace. Now, there's three lests here. 15, uh, 16 and 15 and 16. And so lest means beware. So he's saying don't go down this road. The first lest that I see is to fall short of the grace of God. Now, um, there's a couple of ways of interpreting this, but I'm going to go with the way that says, God has poured grace into our lives and we should pour grace into the lives of other people. So grace means unmerited favour. Grace means forgiveness. Grace means taking a loss sometimes. Grace means not flaring things up. That's what grace means in our lives. And the writer here is saying, just watch out that we don't run out of grace in our lives. So let's watch out for that. That every situation we, we, in, we are in, as best we're able to, we exercise lots of grace. The second lest is lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. So 
The second lest is a doozy. Root of bitterness. What ha- how does a root of bitterness come into our lives? Well, there's lots of ways, I guess, but where I want to come from is something bad happens to us. Somebody does something to us. Someone duds us or cheats us or lets us down or betrays us or, you know, a whole lot of things. And, of course, it cuts our life, cuts into our heart. You know, I trusted them and look what they did to me. I spoke the truth, look what they did. And the writer here is saying, listen, it happens in life. It happens. And you've got to learn to deal with it. And we need to learn to deal with it. We need to... I'm not talking about something light. I'm not talking about someone takes your car park from you, you know. You're going to drive in and a guy comes in and, you know, that's, that's cheap. But when it's personal, when it's in the marriage or the family, somebody says something, someone does something... We've got to learn to deal with it. And sometimes face-to-face, sometimes a letter, sometimes you can't deal with it. Sometimes your dad said something and your dad's been dead for 20 years. Sometimes your wife cleared out or your husband cleared out. I know I'm on thin ice here. But you've got to learn to come to grips with it. You've got to learn to, we've got to learn, not you. We've got to learn to just put it aside and say, Lord, I don't know why it happened, but it happened. I'm In my heart, I'm not going to hold it. In my heart, I'm going to let it go. And then I'm going to get on with my life. So we've got to learn to do that in every situation. If we don't, it says here that this root of bitterness springing up so it's like a little plant that goes into the ground and then it springs up and by this many become defiled little thing and the poison spreads so beloved let's learn to deal with those things by God's grace Uh, the third lest verse 16 lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted it back, he couldn't get it back, even though he sought it diligently with tears. So Esau was a man whose appetites ruled him. You remember the story. He came in from a day hunting. He'd caught nothing. His brother was cooking uh, lentils, believe it or not. How would you like to lose your birthright for lentils? <laughs> the original vegetarians, eh? Anyway, so he said, I'm going to die. If I don't eat something in the next five minutes, I'm going to die. And he said, give me some of that food. And his brother, his sneaky brother, his cheating brother, his deceiving brother, said, give me your birthright. And he said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You can have my birthright. And he ate. And you know what? A couple of hours later, he was hungry again. 
His appetites ruled him. And the horrible verses at the end where he says he sought, he sought it back. He cried and he cried and he cried. But the deed was done. It was too late. So what, what appetites might rule us? Anger might rule us. Do you have a bit of a flare-up? Temper? Jealousy? Envy? Dare I say physical lust? Yes, I do dare say it. We've got to watch that our appetites don't rule us. We've got to rule our appetites. Because it says here, he couldn't get it back. He couldn't get it back, even though he cried and cried. And, you know, God forgives. God forgives where there's repentance, but some others don't forgive. The law doesn't forgive. The law says, you did it wrong, pal. You go to jail or you pay the fine or whatever. Uh, some family members not too quick to forgive. Some neighbours not too quick to forgive. God forgives, but not everyone's as good as God is. So, lest, lest, lest. Let's move on to the next little bit here. Um, 18 through to 24. For you have not come... Okay, so what this is getting at here... Um, I'll tell you what it's getting at and then we'll read it. Um, the writer is saying to them, look, old Israel, which you knew well, which you know well because that's your history, old Israel came to Mount Sinai with Moses. And at Mount Sinai, there was thunder, there was smoke, there was strong voice of God. Anyone who stepped onto that mountain would be struck dead. It was the place where they built the golden calf. And because of God's abhorrence to that golden calf, he destroyed by plague. It doesn't say how many were destroyed. But he, he sent a plague through, uh, through the camp and destroyed many. He says, that's what happened to old Israel. But now, he said, you're in a different dispensation. You're under a different covenant. You haven't come to a mountain that is terrifying. God's got another mountain, and it's called Zion. And he said, at Zion, there's forgiveness. There's peace. There's joy. There's new life. There's the love of God poured out day by day. He said, you don't have to freak out about going to Mount Sinai. Come to Zion. Let's read it. For you have not come to the mountain that, that may be touched. He means a physical mountain. And that burned with fire. And to blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. So that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They were saying, we can't stand this, we can't stand this. For they could not endure what was commanded. And here's what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that even Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. That's what happened to old Israel. But, 
Thank God for the buts. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the just men made perfect. And I think best of all to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So, beloved, we, we, we live in a fabulous covenant. We live on, in a fabulous place, a new place, a new covenant, a new birth, a new relationship, a new uh, way of looking at God's goodness and God's grace. And best of all, we come to Jesus. What a freedom and a release. So he was saying to these guys, Jesus wants to help you. Don't go to him with fear. Don't go to him with trembling like these old Israel did. He's there to help. He's there to bless. He's there to carry you. He's there to bring you through. And the last little bit, um, 25 to 29. Have we got that there? Good on you, good on you, good on you. Um, and this talks about uh, a shaking. And he, he says, I want you to listen. So uh, verse 25, we'll just read that first. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. So what he's saying in this little bit is, God's, God's speaking to you, and I hope God's speaking to all of us this morning. Don't refuse what he has to say, because, he says, shaking comes in all areas of our life. You don't want to be living in a in a in an earthquake zone, if you can help it, um, because earthquakes come and they're destructive. And when we've been around a while, we know that shaking comes in all areas of our life, and only those things hold which have been thoroughly, thoroughly nailed down, or thoroughly, thoroughly have good, deep foundations. Those things will hold. So, in the natural and also in the spiritual and also in the, the outworking of our relationships, I'm thinking just now of marriages. I'm thinking now of friendships. I'm thinking of uh, family relationships. I'm thinking of workplaces. Uh, shaking comes. doesn't come every day, but uh, when you've been around a while, you know that a good shake comes sometimes. And something comes out of, where did that come from? And you're rocked. You rock up at work and you find the company is dissolved. You come home, and I know stories of men who've come home and all the furniture's gone. The removalists came in that morning after the guy went to work and she's gone. 
I'm sure it happens the other way as well, but I know some men for whom that's happened. That's a shaking, all right? Man alive. Sad, sad, sad. So in life, shaking comes. And, and what, what the writer is saying, make sure that you're hanging on to God when the shaking comes. Make sure you're in a safe place, if I can use that term, by being close to the Lord. Hanging on to him so that the shaking can come, it can shake as much as it likes, and then it passes because they always do pass, and you can be left still standing with your hands wrapped around whatever it is or, or wrapped around the Lord. Let's have our roots go down deep. Let's have our foundations strong. Verse 28, I'm going to finish. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So I, I reckon the way we serve God, yes, joy, yes, clapping, yes, all of these things, but with bowed heads, with bowed hearts, with reverence and godly fear. Lord, I really do want to be found in your will. I want to be found doing what you want me to do. I want to be embraced by your arms because I'm in the centre of your will. I don't want, Lord, your will to be here and me over there somewhere or me over there somewhere. I want, I want to be embraced by you so that when shaking does take place, I'm not destroyed by the shaking. Can you say confidently that when shaking comes, that you're holding on to the Lord and so when the dust finally settles... You're still there hanging on to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for those who've gone before us and they've, they've blazed a path for us that we can learn from. And if we can grab hold of these things, we can have a great success in our life. I just think again of that little girl who said, I want a thousand, thousand, thousand good life that's what we want too and we know it's found in you so lord make us all uh, walk closer hold on tighter love more understand more embrace you more so that our lives can be a testimony to those around about us whose lives are a tragedy and whose lives are a mess in the name of jesus we pray these things Amen.